Thank you to Ryan and the band for leading us so well yesterday and again this morning. If you missed yesterday, well, you missed a cracking day. So don't want to make you jealous, but you can't get it back because it's gone. But it was awesome. <laughs> but thank you, Ryan and the band. They're fantastic. Um, I don't know whether you know this, but in the Bible there are different phrases that are used to describe what God is doing in the world today. Ian touched on one at the very beginning when he read from Revelation 22. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples at the end of a conversation, or part of the way into a conversation, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you can look around the world and you can see it's like hell on earth in certain parts of the world, but stories will come through that the church continues to grow. The church of Jesus Christ grows where there's persecution, it grows where there's war, it grows where there's disaster, it grows in nations that are relatively peaceful. The church of Jesus continues to grow because he said it would. Added to that, you have the phrase that the church is like a family, the family of God. And God is our Father, which is why Jesus said when you pray, you say, Our Father, you put your trust in me, said Jesus. You become my disciple. Now you want to know how to pray. This is the way to pray. It's our Father. Because my Father is your Father. And another phrase that we use, and Paul picks this up in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about the body of Christ, and every part of the body has a, has a part to play. Every member is important. It's not just the people that wait on tables that are the key people. It's not just those that make the food are key people. Everybody plays an important part, and what we have to learn to do is to find out where we fit. You might just think it a toenail, but it covers something which is crucial. And so the body of Christ is also important. And then to come to the one that Ian touched on in Revelation 22, what Jesus is doing today intimately is getting ready for himself what is called the bride of Christ. And they're mainly New Testament terms. But there is a, a new, there is an Old Testament term that we don't use very often. And way back in, I think it was the tail end of August, I suddenly had this amazing revelation. I'd never seen this before. You know when you read God's Word and suddenly something that is familiar just jumps out at you? Well, if you're a mathematician, I hope you'll appreciate this revelation because I am not. If you're a mathematician, would you just give me a cheer? Oh, I knew I was outnumbered. <laughs> why me, God? Why? Look, if you're going to fail at maths, you've got to do it successfully. <laughs> School even certificate, 1968, 14%. Not out of 25. <laughs> no, if you're going to fail, you've got to do it right. Anyway, I discovered this in, in August. That Isaiah 53 deliberately and purposefully comes before Isaiah 54. (laughs) Now that's, I know, see, because the mathematicians go, well, 53 always comes before 54. Yes, it does. 
But in Isaiah, it has a different purpose. Because in Isaiah 53, we have this incredible passage foretelling of the suffering of Jesus. Telling of him becoming sin. Him taking upon himself the iniquity of us all. All Old-fashioned words to do with all our wrongdoing. Past, present and future. Every person born is born in sin. The wages of sin is death, says the Bible. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and me, nobody excluded. But the amazing thing is this. One hymn writer took took the chapter Isaiah 50. His name is Philip Bliss, and he wrote these incredible words based on Isaiah 53. He wrote, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a saviour! Guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah! What a saviour! Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry now in heaven exalted high hallelujah what a saviour when he comes our glorious king all his ransomed home to bring then anew this song we'll sing hallelujah what a saviour but the question that is unanswered is is he your saviour because Isaiah 54 follows Isaiah 53 And the writer to Hebrews penned these words in chapter 12 when he said, Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was the joy set before Jesus as he took on the sins of the world? As he took on my sin and your sin? What was the joy that was set before him? Well, personally, it was you and it was me. When he was on the cross, we were on his mind. You were on the heart of God when he nailed Jesus to the cross. When he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of Christ. What a saviour. But you see, Isaiah 54 begins with these incredible words. Sing, barren woman, and you who never bore a child. Burst into song and shout for joy. You who never been in labor for more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband, says the Lord. So who is the desolate woman? It's the church. It's the bride of Christ. Why is that? Because the church can never cause anybody else to be born again. The bride of Christ will never conceive and bring into the world another believer. It's impossible. That's why it's a miracle. That's what God does. And to understand that a little bit more, let's go to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 has this incredible story of a chief tax collector... 
And in chapter 18, Jesus foretells his death again to his disciples. And it says they didn't understand it. It says he set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem. That does not mean he put the two hand, his two hands either side of his face and it became stone. No, he didn't do that. It's picture language. There's this determination in Jesus. Now, Jerusalem is my next stop. But on the way, he goes through Jericho. And in going through Jericho, he stops off at this guy's house, who is called Zacchaeus. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1, using the poetically paraphrased version of the Bible. There was a little man with a great big need. He wanted to see a friend, but he'd have to climb a tree. There were such a lot of people pushing and shoving that he was getting squashed. Now that ain't living. Why can't they be kind to me, thought Zach in his head. I'm beginning to wish I'd stayed at home in bed. But poor old Zach was just forgetting one small tiny thing. He had no song in his heart. Nothing could make him sing. For in and out the neighborhood he'd made a lot of money by stealing and by cheating while talking sweet as honey. I love the taxes for the Romans, he would mutter to himself. Then I can have some nice things to put upon my shelf. Well, up the tree he scrambled for the best view in the town, while people kept on pushing down there upon the ground. Then suddenly he saw him way down the dusty street. With people all around him, this was a real treat. Then Jesus stopped beneath his tree, and looking up at Zach, who was looking down, he said to Zach without a frown, but with a twinkle in his eye, hurry up and come and down and wave the crowds goodbye, because I'm feeling rather thirsty, and it's you I've come to see, so if you're willing, and you're ready, I'm coming home for tea. So home for tea they wandered, with the crowd looking all amazed. And Zach's tummy in a tears and his brain completely dazed. There they sat together in the best room in the house, with Jesus talking plainly, and Zach as quiet as a mouse. Jesus told him what to do and how to start again. I know it won't be easy, because I've been a real pain. I've been a real meanie and a proper stinge bag too. But now you've told me plainly, I know just what to do. I'll give back all the money that I've taken from the people. I'll give them more than their fair share. That seems a real good deal. And so our friend called Zach is kind and not a pain. He's got a song back in his heart since he got born again. And the incredible thing is this. For Zacchaeus, salvation was free. He didn't earn it, neither can you or I. He didn't deserve it, neither do we. He couldn't do anything to bring to the table to make to persuade Jesus. That was out of the question. But if you go back to Matthew chapter 9, there's another tax collector. And he sat in his tax booth. And one day Jesus walks past and his name is called Matthew and the gospel is written after him. He's also known as Levi. And Jesus walks past him and he says, Levi, he looks up from his tax, the table in his tax booth and says, what? He says, follow me. And Matthew gets up, leaves everything and follows Jesus. Wow, that's awesome. Different cost. Free salvation. It's still free. The gift is still free. 
You can't get rid of the guilt on your own. I can't get rid of the shame on my own. I can't wipe out the past mistakes with my own merit. It does not work. It doesn't matter how righteous we be, we may be or how wicked we are. We actually bring nothing to the table where God's salvation is on offer. Because in the work of Jesus on the uh, on, on Calvary, at his death and his resurrection, it could be said this, never was so much done for so many by so few. Because Jesus did it all. Yeah. You may think, well, I'm not Zacchaeus, I'm not a tax collector. No, maybe you're not. But it is recorded that it was the first tax rebate that people got. <laughs> But incidentally, you may be just like Zacchaeus. He was hiding, trying to keep out of the way. Curiosity, I want to see Jesus. Why did he want to see Jesus? Maybe it was because this guy, Levi, who was a tax collector, and Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector, he would have known him in different ways, and the news gets around. He's left the tax booth. He's given up a lucrative earning. Why? What's this? Who's this Jesus? Maybe you've heard. Maybe your friends have talked about Jesus, and you think, well, what's it all about? But you come on a Sunday, and you... You hide. You hide amongst the praise and worship. It makes you feel good and you go away and, well, the coffee was free as well and you get a lift in on a bus and, and all of that kind of stuff and, and maybe you're still weighing it up. You're still curious as to who is this Jesus. But then again, you might think, well, actually, I think I'm okay the way I am. I've always attended church. Yeah, me too. I was went to church before I was born, like many people in Christian homes. <laughs> you have to think about that, don't you? <laughs> Not only did I go, we had Sunday school in our room. 70 kids, every Sunday, on a council estate. Heard the gospel before I was born. Makes no difference. It makes no difference. You may think, but, but my righteousness is okay. Paul says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Whoa, that's a bit of... Well, what about what about Hitler? I remember at the age of about 14 thinking, I can't be that bad God. And what about Hitler? Look at what he did. Well, look at what you did. And it's a level playing field. All have sinned. And because it's a level playing field, there is one way. To get to God. There is one way that we can know peace with God. And it is always and only through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. No other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. It's a must. It's an urgency. You can't put it off. It's a must. I put off for years. From the age of five, without going into all the story, from the age of five until the age of 14, whenever there was an appeal given, I would look up, look at the evangelist that was making the appeal and nod or wave or do anything except respond. Because I wanted to get out of the meeting to go for my chips to go home. And then one day God showed up during a a tent crusade in Newport in 1967, and God suddenly said, tonight's your last chance. I said, I've been, I, I've been to the prayer meetings about this crusade, God. I've been door to door work for this crusade. I've been witnessing on the streets for this crusade. Makes no difference. God's not mocked. Can't deceive God. He is not mocked. 
But in case you don't believe me, come with me to John chapter 3. Famous story. There's this Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. He's well known, well respected. He's religious, as religious as they can be. And Jesus refers to him as Israel's teacher. Incredible story. I was top teacher in Israel. I thought I knew it all. Until the night I spoke with Jesus. And then I felt quite small. He talked about God's kingdom. And how to enter in. Your first step Nicodemus. You must be born again. Born again I spluttered. My head began to swoon. How can a man at my ripe old age. Re-enter his mother's womb. We talked long into the night about the, the spirit and the flesh. Then Jesus dropped a bombshell with the statement that came next. For God so loved the world, he said, he gave his only son. That when anyone believes in him, their new life has begun. I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to blame. I didn't only come to seek. It was to save I came. And so, Nicodemus, I say to you again, if you want to enter my kingdom, you must be born again. There is no other way. It's very simple. But the problem with us is we like it our way. We want to do things our way. We want to solve our own problems. We want to change our own lives. We want to challenge our own lifestyle. We want to improve the way we live by self-effort or by doing good. On the religious scale, if anybody could have got into God's kingdom any other way, it should have been Nicodemus. But God says to Nicodemus, Israel's teacher, you don't understand this either, do you? You don't get it. You think being a Pharisee is the answer. But flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, Nicodemus, the way you are a Jew is because your mom and dad were Jews and you were born into their family. You were born a Jew. It was an act of the flesh. But to be born again is an act of the Spirit of God. That's why the barren woman has more children than her who has a husband. Because it's a miracle of salvation that takes place. And God today offers salvation to you. And to me, the gift is still free, even though his death took place 2,000 years ago. It's more relevant today than it's ever been. With the mess that the world is in, if ever a world needed revival, if ever a world needed to hear the gospel message, it's now. Because as Paul says, today is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now, right now. Why is it now? Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. In fact, we're not even guaranteed the next half an hour. It's right now. Now is the crucial moment. Now is the moment where Jesus may just stop where you're sitting and say, it's time to get born again. It's time to stop arguing. It's time to stop putting up the defenses. It's time to stop struggling. It's time to give in to the fight and let me win with my love over you. Let me be the one that persuades you and watches over you, and protects you, and guards you through life. Let me be the one that you give your life to. You may think, well, my life is okay. If it's okay, why are you here? 
If your life is really okay, are you here for respectability that won't get you into heaven? Are you here because maybe your friends have just persuaded you? Well, that doesn't work either. For Nicodemus, you must be born again. For Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, opposite ends of the scale, you must be born again. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about giving your life to him willingly. Well, how does that work, you say? Well, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, Peter stands up and begins to preach. And as he's preaching, the crowd suddenly respond to him. What must we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the starting point. It's not the finishing point. And next Sunday, I believe you're having baptisms, is that right? So if you're not born again yet, you could get born again today and baptized next week. What a start off. What a way to start your Christian life. But it starts by me admitting to God, actually, my life is in a mess. I may not like the word sin, it's not 21st century God, but that's what you call it. All my wrongdoing, all my self-righteousness. And then we sing songs about what Jesus has done for us. What a saviour we serve. Because he has done it all. The amazing thing with the work of Jesus compared to Mohammed, Buddha, Sikhism... Roman Catholicism, all the major religions of the world, it's always earn, 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 payback, payback, payback. Jesus says, I know the human heart better than you know it yourself. It's deceitful, he says, and desperately wicked. And yet, he loves us in spite of it all and went to the cross to demonstrate his love and to earn for us that access into heaven and the relationship with God our Father he did it all lifted up was he to die there's nothing left to be done we can't do it on our own you can't earn your own salvation it may be that you're one of those and I've been there where you struggle with past guilt and things seem to rob you and, and it makes you Am I or not? Am I a Christian? Not a Christian? What, what, what? Settle it in your own mind. Jesus did it all. The debt between man and God, set by man, was enormous from one simple act of disobedience by Adam and Eve. It was only a piece of fruit that they ate. But they hadn't been out of the garden very long when Cain murdered his brother so not even their offspring were innocent sin was intergrained interwoven into the fabric of humanity and we can't escape it apart from submitting to Jesus through his death and resurrection through his suffering acknowledging that what he did on the cross 
the suffering that he went through. He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me so that we might be called the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at me today, he doesn't look at my faults. He looks at Jesus. Which is why Jude says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Also, it's awesome. It's such a free gift. It's wonderful. But there is a cost involved. You may decide, Okay, today I'm going to give my life to Jesus. But the difference between Zacchaeus and Matthew is this. Matthew left his job. Zacchaeus didn't. There's no record that Zacchaeus stopped being the chief tax collector. He did give back what he had wrongly taken. He did rectify the mistake, but he was still a tax collector. God may not get you to change your career path, but there will still be a cost involved in following Jesus. You may be the first person in your family, and maybe the family won't won't understand it. Maybe the family will give you a hard time. Maybe your friends will make fun of you and say, oh, you've got religious mania, have you? Or whatever it may be, there's a cost involved. But I've been walked with Jesus since I was 14. Through it all, he's worth it. He is worth it. You're worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Why? Because when I get it wrong, I go back to Jesus. Why? He cleanses me from all sin. And he'll do the same for you today. The guilt you can't get rid of. The shame that you carry. The disappointments and the hurts. And all the other muck that we store up inside us. Memories that we can't shake free of. Jesus can set you free today. And if this message is for you. And I believe there's some people here that this message is really for. I'd like the band if they can come back up please. Uh, ready? I'm just going to pray as the band comes back up. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to ask you, if you've never prayed this prayer of giving your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I'm going to ask you to pray it where you are. And then as we sing this last song, I'm going to ask you to come forward so we can pray more with you. So for a few moments, I just wonder, can we close our eyes in prayer, please? I really believe Jesus wants to do business with some people today. So, Holy Spirit, just come in power, Lord. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I can ask you to repeat this prayer after me. You can do it quietly, do it inside yourself. But I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, today I admit I am a sinner. I admit before you I need your salvation. I need your grace. I need you to set me free. I bow the knee before you right now. And I open my life to you and invite you into my life to be Lord and Saviour. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name because he is the one who paid the price for me. Amen.